So, you know, when I was uh, 13 years old, I remember a trip that I took with my family, and uh, we, we took a road trip from Oklahoma to California. And uh, this, was, this was a long road trip. It took two weeks. It's about 1,500 miles, about 20 hours of driving. So we took our time getting there. And so along the way, we stopped at places like the Royal Gorge in Colorado. Now, for somebody who's afraid of heights, uh, it was beautiful, but I probably won't go back, just to be honest. <laughs> Um, but then on the way back, we, we stopped at Phoenix, Arizona. I've got an uncle that lives there. And, um, you know, about this time of year, I'm thinking Phoenix sounds nice, right? <laughs> so, um, but once we made it to California, we spent a little bit of time driving up and down the coast near Los Angeles. And one of my favorite mem- uh, memories from this trip uh, was uh, going to the Hollywood Walk of Fame with my family and just seeing all the stars that they had placed in the sidewalk. Um, many of you know at this point, I'm a huge movie buff. You know, watching movies, it's just like my favorite pastime. I love it. And so seeing some of the names of some of my favorite actors um, in a place that you typically only see in postcards uh, or in a photo, it was really neat to be able to see that. And uh, while we were there, we also went to uh, Jay Leno's car show. And my dad is a huge car guy. So how many car people do we have out here this morning? Gary's hand is like way up there. I knew, I knew that about you, Gary. So we, we have a few car people. This was my dad's favorite part of the trip. And I remember walking around Jay Leno's car show with him. And we would see a car that maybe there's one of, you know, that looks like this and in this kind of condition. And it was fun to try to guess like which celebrity has owned this car or who currently owns it. So we had kind of fun just, just guessing that. And then we left the car show. I remember walking up and down the sidewalks in Los Angeles. And depending on where you're at, I probably wouldn't recommend that. But we were in a nicer part of town and with family. And um, we'd see limos go by and Ferraris and Lamborghinis. And you just see that stuff everywhere. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I wonder, I wonder if that was somebody important. Right, because the limos you can't see in the windows, and you can't really see in the limos of some of these, you know, multi-million-dollar cars. So I was thinking, I wonder if that was someone important. You know, I think we've all asked this question at some point in our lives, and not not about a famous person in a limo or a Ferrari, but but about ourselves. I really believe, to some degree, every person has asked the question: Am I somebody important? You know, it's easy to feel anything but important. If if you work for a company uh, that treats its employees like maybe you're just another number. It's easy to feel anything but important in that kind of environment. It's easy to feel like what you're doing isn't important if you're picking up your kids' Legos off the floor for the 10th time in a week. Can I get an amen (laughs) from a few of you? you? It's easy to feel left out, you know, when age keeps you from being as involved in some of the activities that you've loved for so long. You may not have asked the question, am I somebody important, like out loud or in that exact way before, but I believe we've all struggled with understanding our purpose in life, wrestling with our identity, or wondering if we have value. We've all asked this question to some extent. So today we're going to be in week two of a message series that I'm calling Stand Firm. And for four weeks, um, I, I want to challenge but, and encourage our church family uh, to stand firm and to build our lives on the promises of God. Uh, last week, we talked about how God has given us around 8,000 promises in his word. 8,000 promises. That blows my mind. In fact, I'm not a math person. My wife is. But this is simple math. If you do the math, that's one promise um, every single day for 21 years. 
And I think a lot of people would agree that the first 21 years of a person's life is really the most important time in their life for development and growth and understanding who they are and understanding the world that they live in. That's amazing. One promise every single day for 21 years. And what we see as you go through God's word is that God's promises are always for the good of his people, but they always point us back to the dependability of God. They show us that God is 100% dependable. So the question that we're asking throughout this series is not, will God keep his promises? That's not the question that we're asking. We laid the foundation last week and we were reminded that God is dependable. God is is faithful. He always does what he says he's going to do. The question that we're asking throughout this series is this, uh, will we be individuals, families, and a church uh, who builds their lives on the promises of God? So I've entitled today's message, um, God Defines Me. And the promise that we're going to look at this morning is a promise that really does help answer the question, am I somebody important? Do I have value? Do I have worth? Is what I'm doing, does, does it matter? You know, when you struggle with this question, when you struggle with understanding your purpose, knowing your identity, or wondering if you have value, I want to encourage you to build your lives on this promise. And this is the promise for today. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you up front. That you were created by God, in God's image, for God's glory. That you were created by God, in God's image, for God's glory. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 26 and 27. And as we do, I want to give you two different translations this morning. I'm going to give you the NLT, which is what we, uh, I typically preach out of on Sunday morning. And then I want to give you uh, the message translation. And this is, I want to just let you know up front, the message is, is a paraphrase of, of the original text. It's not meant to be a word-for-word word translation or even a thought-for-thought. Thought. It's really paraphrasing to help us understand what the scripture is saying. So let's look first to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We'll look at the NLT version first. So then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And I want you to remember that, that terminology, that, that phrase. They will reign over the fish in the sea the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So then let's look at the the message translation. It says, God spoke. Let us make human beings in our image, making them reflecting our nature, so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. So God created human beings. He created them godlike, lowercase g, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. So in these two translations and in the context that surrounds these two verses, we've been given one of the most significant promises in all of God's word. And it's a promise that I believe God wants us to build our lives on, that you were created by God in God's image for God's glory. So let's spend a little bit of time unpacking this promise this morning. If you're taking notes, the first truth that we're going to talk about is this, that you were created by God in God's image. You were created by God in God's image. So in the creation account, we read that God made human beings to be more like him than anything else he created. In fact, God never said, let us make rocks in our image. He just doesn't. He never says, let us make cats 
in our image. That's because cats are not of the Lord. In Psalm 19, verse 1, I know we have some cat lovers, and I love you. I just can't get on board with that or the Packers. Hate me if you want. (laughs) Man, do you hear that this morning? (laughs) As we're going to talk about today, our pets and our favorite football team do not define our value. Psalm 19, verse 1. This is an important verse. The heavens proclaim... The glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. You know, I believe that we see in the creation account and all throughout God's word um, that all of God's creation, everything God's created can proclaim his glory, can display his craftsmanship. Uh, For example, in Romans 1.20, we're reminded that since the time of creation, people have been able to see God's power and his divine nature in everything that God has made. So there's no excuse for not knowing there's a God. That's what the scripture tells us. But I want us to see that none of these created things were made in the image of God. Human beings are the only thing in all of God's creation created in his image. So what does this mean to be created in God's image? We've spent a little bit of time on this in a past message. And I know a lot of our groups have talked about this over the year, our growth groups and small groups. But I want to go a little bit deeper this morning with this. And I want to encourage you to you know, stay plugged into this because it's going to help connect the dots in a big way uh, to the promise that we're talking about today. So there are generally uh, three scriptural interpretations that, that hold weight to what it means to be created in God's image. The first interpretation is this, that some suggest that uh, this, this, this truth of being made in God's image refers to some spiritual or mental quality in humans. So this would be attributes that we share with God, that we uniquely share with God, like the ability to think, uh, feel emotions, or to choose, so having a will. Another interpretation of this is that uh, some highlight that the emphasis of the cre- creation account The emphasis in the context is on humans ruling over God's creation. So since God is a creative God and we're created in his image, we're also called to be creators. For example, the first humans were given the task of naming all of the animals. And God also said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. This would emphasize an active role to continue God's creative work on earth. And then the third interpretation is this. Some people point out the relational quality of the triune God in creation. So this agrees with other passages of scripture throughout God's word. And we see this in phrases like let us and in our image and like us. That's the language that we see in the creation account. Again, this agrees with other passages of scripture that teaches there is one God eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was author Henry Haley who suggested that since there are relationships that exist between, within God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we too have the ability to enter into relationship with God and with other people. And some believe that's what it means to be made in the image of God. I believe that a correct understanding of what it means to be created in the image of God includes aspects of all three of these different interpretations. And that may be the best way for us to understand this is not necessarily to go so deep and try to work this out word for word, but to take a step back and realize that being made in the image and likeness of God can really come down to two words, and that is that we take after God. We take after God. These terms self-define themselves themselves 
just a few chapters later in Genesis 5. So in Genesis 5 verse 3, we read this, that when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness and after his image, and he named him Seth. So God's word tells us that Seth um, took after his dad's own likeness and image. What does this mean? Well, from a human standpoint, I think it's easy to say, well, maybe he had the same hair color or the same eye color. Maybe as Seth grew, um, he had, you know, he, he was a, the same height as his dad, or he had a similar personality. There's really no way, way for us to know any of these things. But what we do know is this, that Seth related to his dad in a unique and special way, a way that was not shared by anyone or anything else. You know, being created in the image and likeness of God means that we take after God and relate to God in a unique and special way, a way that's not shared by any other created thing. When describing what it means to take after God, one author wrote, as human beings, we have divine attributes. That's not to say we have God's abilities, but we do share many of his attributes, you know, it's important for us to understand this morning that no one is God except for God. Amen? Sometimes we live like we think we're God, but only God is God. Yet at the same time that, that we, we agree and, and share that scriptural truth, at the same time, we were created in the image of God to communicate and reflect his attributes by the way that we live our lives. You were given individually, as families and as, as the church, you were given the unique ability and responsibility to represent God, something that no other created thing was given. That, that's amazing. Let's look at this from a, a diff, little different angle this morning as well. You know, when a person is in Christ, when you've believed in Jesus, and when you're in Christ, God's word tells us that the Holy Spirit actually grows some of these attributes and characteristics in us so that we can begin to reflect God growing more and more into the image of Jesus. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it's a couple of verses that we would have looked at in our, in our study on Galatians last year. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when you and I, we take a step back and we realize that when we live in step with God's leading in our lives, more of the fruit of the Spirit is developed by God in our lives. And these attributes, these characteristics, they reflect God in our lives. So I'll say this, even outside of a saving relationship with Jesus... All people, regardless of nationality, regardless of social status, regardless of skin color, whatever the case may be, all people are created in the image of God. Every man and woman, born and pre-born, rich or poor, urban or rural, all people are made in the image of God. All people share some of God's divine attributes that make human beings unique in all of God's creation. But in Christ... God begins to grow these attributes. He begins to grow these characteristics in us so that we can begin to reflect God towards others in the way that God intended. You could say it this way, that without exception, without exception, every, every person has been made in God's image with the purpose of reflecting God. The only issue is some people choose uh, to suppress that image 
and others choose to allow God to enhance his image in them. And that's going to lead us to our second point for this morning, and that is this, that sin has distorted this image, but it has not destroyed it. Sin has distorted this image, but it has not destroyed it. So when writing about this truth, Max Licato has said that our moral purity has been tainted. That's because of sin. Our, Our intellect has been polluted by foolish human ideas. We've fallen prey to the elixir of self-promotion rather than God-promotion. That's what sin does. The Bible calls all of these things sin, and we've all, we've all done them. You know, we're all familiar with Romans 3.23 that says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So without exception, every person is a sinner by nature and by choice. And as we look to God's word, we've said this before, we can come to the conclusion that sin is anything that goes against the character and the nature of God. Sin is what destroys our human relationships. It what severs our relationship with God. It's what gives us a false view of self. It's what shows us that our value can be found in other things when it really cannot be. Our sin distorts the image of God in us, but it's important to understand that this image has not been destroyed. You see, the reason for that is because being created in God's image is a promise that God has given us all the way back in Genesis 1. That choosing to sin, choosing to distort God's image in our lives does not cause God to go back on his word. That's so important for us to understand as we talk about the promises of God. What we do has no bearing on whether or not God will fulfill his promises, and he will. God will keep his word. So while sin distorts God's image in our lives, we read all throughout God's word that God wants nothing more than for every person to turn from their sin because sin separates us from God, to trust in Jesus and to allow the Holy Spirit to grow and shape us more into the image of God. So how can we reflect God in our lives? I believe that we reflect God's image in the way that God intended in many different ways. Uh, one way, you know, when we spend time with, with God in his word, when we prioritize that. You know, I, I fear that there, there are, we mentioned this last week, that there are a lot of Christians walking around today defeated because they're not spending time in God's word. They're not claiming the promises of God and getting to know Jesus for who he says he is. We also reflect God's image when we obey his commands. We follow his leading in our lives. When we serve God by using the gifts that he's given us in and through the local church. When we come together and pray collectively, worship collectively. I believe that that reflects God's image in our lives. When we love and serve our families well. You know, something I have to continually remind myself of um, is although this what God has called me to here is important. Uh, my role in my family is so much more important to God. And I would say this to every person here today. As you're serving in ministries, as you're involved uh, in the church using your gifts, um, the role that God has given you in your family uh, should come before that. You know, if you're burning at both ends uh, by serving here in the church and your family's suffering because of that, take a step back, please. Don't allow that to affect your family in a negative way. We were meant to come together to serve one another for the glory of God, but not at the expense of marriages and and raising our kids. That's so important. 
See, something wonderful happens when we seek to build our lives on the promises of God, and specifically this promise, that we were created in God's image for God's glory. And that is that God begins to shine through us. God begins to shine through us. When God shines through us, we, we say the things that he wants us to say, and we do the things that he wants us to do. And when we allow God to enhance his image in us and to shine through us, it's like having a complete remodel in your home from the inside out. And sometimes that's difficult. I don't know if you've ever had a remodel on your home, but you know, tearing old cabinets out, uh, messing with nasty toilets, pulling up carpet and finding who knows what underneath couches. I mean, it's, it's a messy business. And allowing God to shine through our lives, it can be a messy business too. But when we allow God to do that, we say the things that he wants us to say, we do the things he wants us to do, God goes to work on even the smallest of details in our lives, affecting everything. And over time, the goal is this, that people would see more of Christ and less of me. That's the goal, that people in your life would see more of Christ and less of you. You could say it this way, that God's goal for your life is that you would allow him to change, to remodel, to renovate anything in your life that is not of him. So that the image of God can be clearly seen in you. This is exactly what God's word tells us in the New Testament through the Apostle Paul. Colossians 3, 9 and 10, it says, don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18, one of my favorite verses in 2 Corinthians, it says, So all of us who have had the veil removed, so this is talking to believers, all of us who have believed in Jesus have had the veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. You see, I think the problem in in the church today, and I say this because I see it in my life as well, is that we want to love Jesus, we want to follow Jesus, but we don't want him to change us. We want to stay the same. We don't want God to come in and have access to every room in the house and renovate from the inside out. We get content with with what's going on in life. And Jesus says, no, you were created in my image to reflect my image to others. And to do that, you've got to give me access. I've got to be able to come in and start that, that, that change, start that renovation process so that you become more and more like him as you're changed into his glorious image, the Bible says. This is the message of God's word, that we would be transformed more and more into God's image, that we would be people who reflect Jesus to the world for the good of others and for the glory of God. This truth is completely different from the message that our culture feeds us. So the culture's message to us is this. Look inside yourself to find yourself. Follow your hearts when making decisions. Or or find your value in whatever it is that you want to do. You know, I think that is a a false message that that we give our kids as well as they're growing up. You you can be whatever you want to be when you get older. That sounds good. But I think we've got to reshape that a little bit and say, no, you should be who God wants you to be. Instead of following your heart and your own human desire, your your sinfulness, instead of being whatever you want to be, follow Christ. 
Be what he wants you to be. Be the person he's created you to be. You see the slight subtleties there. And sometimes it's not very, very different from what scripture teaches us, but it's just enough to throw us off the path that God wants us to be on. That the message that culture gives us wrongfully defines where our identity and our value come from. We have so many false messages being thrown at us every single day. You know, I believe that when the magazine and the internet articles are wrong when they tell women that you're only as good as you are thin. Or that you have to have a certain kind of makeup to be beautiful. That's a false message. I believe the movies lie, and I'm a movie buff, when they suggest that our value increases as we move up the corporate ladder, or when we have more influence in our jobs, or when our bank account grows. Culture wrongfully defines our value when we're given a message that says our value comes from anything other than God. That's going to lead us to our third and final point today. This might be the most important out of all three, and that is you are valuable simply because God made you in his image. You are valuable simply because God made you in his image. You know, I have found that true joy and contentment is only found when I truly believe that my value is defined by who God says I am. Not by what culture says, not by what people say, not by what my bank account says. Joy and contentment grow when my value and my identity come from what God says about me. And then when I engage more and more in the active role that God's given me and reflecting his image to others. Could it be that we have a lack of joy in the church and in our families? Because we're not, we don't believe, truly believe that our value comes from who God says we are. And nothing else. Could it be that we have a lack of joy and purpose because we try to find value in other things? You know, I can't help but think how much sadness would disappear if every person truly believed that they were created by God in God's image for God's glory. Think about that for a minute, how that would change lives. You know, I remember before Faith and I had Micaiah, our oldest son, we both had um, just a, a world of emotions sweeping through our lives. And later on, I found that these emotions were different. Uh, she was feeling one thing and I was feeling another. She was worried and scared about the actual process of giving birth, the pain and you know, the things that she was going to have to go through, and rightfully so. I was, I was scared out of my mind about how I was going to keep a human being alive how I was going to care for this, this, this little human who was 100% dependent on me. But what's amazing, you know, and, and actually every time we've had a kid, we go to the hospital and I go and check my blood pressure because it skyrockets. All right. And, and I, I know I'll be the first to admit, I mean, what you have to go through is just, I, I have no excuse, no excuse at all. But it goes up and then I have these, these wave of emotions and, and then something amazing happens. They're, they're born. I remember Micaiah being born, and it's like those things just disappeared. And I saw my son for the first time. And you hear about it before it happens, but until you experience it, I don't know that you can really describe it to someone else. It's like all of those things went away. I mean, yeah, there were some worries, and, but I realized that I would love this little human no matter what. 
There was a love there that, that couldn't be explained. And what's amazing is that he had done nothing to earn his mom and dad's affection. He had done nothing to earn his mom and dad's love at that point. If anything, we should have been a little ticked at him for what he put us through. But that wasn't the case. He had done nothing. Yet we loved him unconditionally. Why does God love you the way that he does? As the Bible says, with an everlasting love. Why does God love you that way? I can tell you this. It has zero to do with anything that you've done. Nothing to do with anything you've done to earn his affection. I can tell you this. It has everything to do with whose you are. God loves you not because of what you've done, but because you are his. Jeremiah 1.5 reminds us that God knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb. This is probably best suited for another message someday, but this idea that somehow you were known and loved in heaven before you were known and loved on earth. Man, talk about an everlasting love. You were created by God in God's image for God's glory. You carry part of him. There's something of him in you. He stamped his name on your heart. He breathed into your lungs and gave you life. If someone somewhere along the way in your life has, caused, has, has told you that you are a lost cause, if someone somewhere along the way has told you that, that you're worthless, it's a lie. It's not true. God created you with a purpose and for a purpose. He loved you enough to send his only son to die on a cross and then be raised from death so that you could have an opportunity to intimately know the one who made you. You see, when a person hears the good news of who Jesus is and and of what he's done, And they believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And the Bible tells us when they repent of sin and and confess Christ publicly and make the decision to be baptized into Christ, a wonderful thing happens. This transformation process begins to happen. God goes to work on growing your life from the inside out. That renovation process begins. You know, none of us are perfect. I think that's, that's known. We agree on that, amen? None of us are perfect. But God's word tells us that in Christ, we are being made perfect. That we are being made more and more into the image of God. Today's promise is this, that, that you were created by God, in God's image, for God's glory. And the question is this, will you choose to build your life on this promise? You're not an accident. You're not a random fluke of evolution. This is is the world's message. This is the culture's message. This isn't what the Bible teaches us. You're not defined by your job. And I get it. I know our job can, it takes so much of our life. It can take so much of our time. We put so much into it. But you are not defined by your job. Your job does not define your value. You're not defined by your age or the season of life that you're in. What you can or can't do in this season, that doesn't define you. 
You're not defined by your social status, what people think and say about you, or by the number of followers that you have on Facebook. That's not what gives you your worth. It's not what gives you your value. The Bible tells us that you were created by God in the image of God for God's glory. In the eyes of God, you are so valuable that you are worth dying for. And I want to encourage you to stand firm on this promise. I want to encourage you to build your life on this promise.